Would you open to page 206, hymn number 206? What a powerful testimony was just shared with us. Man, that was tremendous. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Thank you, Ivy, for reminding us. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Only faintly now I see him with the darkening veil between. But a blessed day is coming, amen? When his glory shall be seen. What rejoicing in his presence when are banished grief and pain. When the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face. Oh, blissful moment. Face to face. To see and know face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. We're looking forward to that day. I can't wait for it. Amen? Tremendous. Thank you for reminding us of that opportunity. I have seen a lot of faces today, but I don't know too many. Some I know, some have connections for me. I must tell you, you have wonderful hospitality greeters. There is a tremendous ministry here for hospitality. I got to meet Sam, and I got to meet Pat. I've known Pat. In fact, we tried to steal Pat, but we were not successful. <clears throat> yeah, I'll be uh, eating lunch somewhere else today. Uh, Pat and Gary, I don't know where you're sitting here. Where are you located? Right here. Oh, what a blessing. She got to go to Kosrai recently. Our Lake Union, as you know, probably you've told the story, is sponsoring an island over there in the Micronesian Federation. And uh, our team member, Nicole, from Indiana was with you. So thank you for your ministry. I would be here if I could. We'll be in Collegedale on Thursday evening when you have your graduation. Folks, if you don't have a church school, you might as well close up shop. Blessed are you to have a church school. You are very blessed. And may God honor our teachers and the ministry that they are performing. My wife, Ernie, would you just wave there? She's sitting in the back, Ernestine. So uh, she gets to join me on these journeys. The Lake Union is so gracious to allow her to go with me. We have been to a number of places which we are honored to attend. Thank you for featuring your young people. Joe, I was blessed, wherever you are, by your music on the piano. Thank you for that. And uh, others, Kathy, where's Kathy? Yes, thank you for your participation today. I, you know, Ron Whitehead, I just texted him and I said, Ron, here is our Pathfinder director, is it JP? And uh, his son, Alex, and they're giving the children's story this morning, and he's in Camp Asabel conducting training today. He's preaching this morning, and he said, give them my regards. He's looking forward to Oshkosh, as you could expect. We're going to be there, and we're looking forward to that. By the way, you have a beautiful sanctuary. You folks are very blessed. 
And my wife and I will be praying for you. Your pastor is coming. I don't know who it is yet, but he's coming. We happen to know, talking about faces, we happen to know your former pastor, Kent Rufo, because he used to be one of the pastors in my sister's home church in Arlington, Texas. So uh, we also tried to steal him, and we were unsuccessful. So uh, blessed are they that don't violate, what is it, the Eighth Commandment, I guess. This morning, I want to share with you a message I trust that it will be from my heart. I really don't have anything to bring to you except my testimony through God's Word. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to join me in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Is it all right if I move around occasionally? I want to thank you, uh, Elvis. Is that the correct name? Elvis Rodriguez? Thank you. You have, I, and this is no fluff, you have the most organized team that I've ever worked with. And giving my sermon information, it was all there, formatted. Yeah, it was just lickety split. Thank you for the work you and your team have done. Some years ago, I pastored with uh, some of my colleagues in the Oregon Conference. Ernie and I spent seven years there. And one of my teammates, one of our colleagues up the road, was Phil Dunham. And he wrote this book. I cherish it. I would not be willing to give it up. It's entitled, Blessed are the unlikelies. And what he has done, he has taken many of the names that you would never expect in Scripture or in society. You would say, these folks can make it to heaven? Oh yeah. Blessed are the unlikelies. I'm going to share with you this morning one of those individuals. It wasn't that long ago, although as you know, some of you are getting gray hair, or like me, less hair, or no hair. It wasn't that long ago that I remember an individual who had been baptized for about a year. You won't know him, and you don't know where this is from, so I'll mention his name. But um, Earl came to me with a story that I cannot tell you. It would be too devastating this morning for me to tell you the story. It would be too salacious for me to do this in public. And basically what he said is, Pastor Steve, I don't believe I have any hope. There's no way that God is going to let me into his kingdom for what I have done. And his story was very graphic and very descriptive. What do you do as a pastor, an elder, Elvis and Tom? What do you do when you consult with, as spiritual leaders with church members? This fellow, as I said, had been baptized for a year. How do you respond? I'll tell you what I did. The only thing I knew to do is I prayed a silent prayer. I said, Jesus, would you help me? I don't know what to say to this individual. After you hear such a, a litany 
of terrible, despicable narrative. How in the world could Jesus save that individual? And he put the thought in my mind, the Holy Spirit must have done this, take him to Romans. We were there this morning, and I love, my favorite chapter in the Bible is Romans chapter 8. Take him to Romans. We were there, Tom. Thank you for reading scripture. Take him to Romans. Keep your finger there in Joshua chapter 2. Romans chapter 8. And as his brother was sharing with me, it came to my mind. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, help me, who can be against us? I think I've figured out who's against us. Have you figured that out? Now take, let's go through a, a few more pieces, uh, verses of this text. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up just for the folks at Downers Grove. Is that what it says? He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? I love the word with. That preposition is powerful, Pat. You're a teacher. How shall he not with him? It's talking about he wants us. As Ivy's saying, he wants us to see his face. He wants us to be with him. How shall he not with him also give us how many things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? I know who that is. I've experienced it. If it is God who justifies, who is it that condemns? Remember that second verse? The verse right after John 3.16? God sent not His Son into the world to do what? Who is He that condemns? It is Christ. It's not Jesus. It's surely not Him. He died for us. Furthermore, He's risen. He's at the right hand of God. And he, right now, He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. I honestly don't know. I can't tell you the rest of the story. But it seemed like I was impressed to share that scripture with this brother. Now, in Joshua chapter 2 we are seen or given an assignment through Joshua, the successor of Moses. And in chapter 2 of Joshua, it tells us that through the commission of the Lord, he was directed to send not 12, but two spies. Where? Remember the story? To Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, now Joshua, verse 1, the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. wonder how they knew where to go. The best thing I can tell you is they were on a divine mission. God was leading them. I've thought about this. I've reflected with Phil Dunham here in his book. Probably the most inconspicuous place that God could have sent him. 
rather than sending them to a 14th century B.C. Motel 6. They were on a secret mission. God had a plan. It wouldn't have been as conspicuous to go to this place. Have you ever thought about um, this story? Because many of you know this familiar story. It's so fascinating to think about how the story evolves and what, how, how you unpack the story. Was it maybe that they knew where the red light was? The burning lamp? Was it maybe um, their 14th century B.C. Yelp or Google or Bing? Was it, you know, how we today with the politicians and the real estate people, they have those little signs on sticks. We have them on metal frames, and you can see, oh, you just follow this and over here. It was God's mission. Somehow God had arranged for this. And by the way, when you introduce people, how do you introduce folks? Uh, I'd like to introduce you to my friend who has been in prison for a number of years. Do you start out on a negative? Is that the way we introduce folks? Uh, I'd like to introduce you to someone that has been a hardcore alcoholic. Or this individual, I'd like to introduce you to this individual. I can't tell you the number of times they've been an adulterer. Folks, we like to put the most positive spin when we're introducing folks. Scripture, as I heard in the Sabbath school this morning, is it Melissa? Scripture is so open. It's so transparent. It doesn't hide anything. You would know by my hair or lack of it that I probably went through Watergate era. Scripture does not cover up. Scripture is wide open. It's transparent. It shows us the foibles and the failings and the stumblings. You like that? Scripture is filled with integrity. I say that's a, such a blessing. And we need to take it one step further because there are individuals, scholars, who say, oh no, when you're dealing with Rahab the harlot, there's seven times in Scripture where she's called Rahab the harlot. Isn't that interesting? You never get away from the consequences of your lifestyle. Think about it. It lives on with us. When we get to heaven, the Bible tells us we're going to have new names. Amen? But Scripture says seven times, Rahab the harlot. Wow. It's powerful. There are consequences. But there's no ambiguity in that word in Scripture. There, there are some scholars who say, well, Zona." And I don't know my Hebrew very well. Zona could be innkeeper. It could be tavern hostess. No, it's overwhelming. Most scholars make it very clear that this was a loose woman. Behavior was not appropriate. In fact, if you go to the Greek in the New Testament, twice she's called Rahab the harlot in Hebrews and in James. That Greek word, you know what the Greek word is? Immediately when I tell you, you're going to figure it out. Porne. 
pornography. That's where we get the word. Scripture is wide open, my friends. In fact, on the slide here, I've got good help with Vicki. It says, as we move along, that with this dear lady, Rahab, Jericho was one of the principal seats of idol worship, being especially devoted to Ashtaroth, the goddess of the moon. Here centered all that was vilest and most degrading in the religion of the Canaanites. You ever wondered why God called it quits on Noah? It's comparable here in Jericho. The next slide tells us the peoples of the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean coast were as corrupt and depraved as any who ever dwelt on this earth. They made a religion of what? If you want to do your homework this afternoon, go home, and I'm sure all of you have this or you have access to it. There's a Bible by Eugene Peterson that's called the Message Bible. And it's Deuteronomy 7, verse 5. If you want to take a deeper dive into this subject, uh, treat yourself and see what's said there in Deuteronomy chapter 7. I guess it's not surprising with what I've told you so far to realize that Rahab would lie. Are you with me? with all that was going on in the city of Jericho, with her lifestyle. Folks, uh, James says when you break one, what happens? Hmm. When she was asked about the two spies, the king sent the guards, what did she say? I'm back here in Joshua chapter 2. She said, I don't know where they came from. Hang on to your seatbelts here because she's going to tell us otherwise in a few moments. She also said it happened at dark when the gate was shut that the men went out. They went up to her roof. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. What this tells me, and you're welcome to disagree with me. I've just studied it this far. This tells me that God treats us where we are. In fact, it brings to mind that sermon that the Apostle Paul gave to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, where he says in his sermon, at the times of their ignorance, God winked at. I'm not here to justify sin this morning. I'm just saying God takes us where we are, and he helps us to grow together. He works with us. He was utilizing Rahab in a mighty way. Now, I read in Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary as I studied for this that Christian lying can never be justified. Would you agree with that? There's no justification for prevarication, for not telling the truth. It's in the commandments. Thou shalt not bear false Witness, you come to me and you say, Brother Steve, you're a pastor. You're dealing with degrees of sin. Over here, you've got the 
Seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Over here you've got the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false. God is not focusing on degrees of sin. He's focused on the condition of this preacher's heart. What's the spiritual condition of Rahab? In fact, as I read my Bible, it says that Jesus didn't come for the pious and for the virtuous and the people that are on the inside. He came for the sick. The people out there that are struggling. Amen? He's the great physician for that very purpose. He came to invite Actually, all of us, for God so loved the world. I'm astounded at the miracles I see when I read Scripture. I'm astounded at how He works in lives. Let's go back to Romans where we were just a few moments ago. Romans, instead of chapter 8, go with me to Romans chapter 12, if you will. Romans chapter 12. I think I'm being impressed in my testimony through sermon in the future to preach on this particular passage. We won't spend a lot of time on it today, but somehow we need to talk about change. And these two verses talk about change. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, God, or excuse me, uh, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what kind of a sacrifice? A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. If I were to be totally transparent with you this morning, that's exactly what I want in my heart. I want a mind that is renewed by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. How about you? I want that transformation. I crave, as we see him, as we behold him, to experience that purity of heart, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What kind of a miracle is it to take a woman of the night and to transform that individual so that they can now be wearing a pure, pure robe of Jesus White righteousness. What kind of a miracle is that? Take them out of the muck and the swamp of life and be transformed. And watch this. In Hebrews chapter 11, make them a champion, a woman who was a heathen. They are now a champion in the hall of faith. How does that happen? Seventh-day Adventists sing this song, and I love it. The tears roll down my eyes when we go to Indianapolis or St. Louis or wherever we have general conference session. We have this hope that burns in our hearts. Amen? Hope in what? The coming of the Lord. Hope in the fact if he can transform someone like a preacher who sat on a committee that was significant in his day, like Nicodemus, the Sanhedrin. Boy, he can take care of preachers in this day, can't he? John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus all about that transformation. You've got to be born again. There's got to be a change. Joshua, again, 
We're going from Romans to Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Look at verse 9. And he said to the men, or rather Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now friends, I want you to just imagine this, and we're going to wrap this up in a minute, so hang on to your hats here, but God gives opportunity to individual, I'll just use the term like crazy. Here's a lady in Jericho who's a prostitute, a harlot, and she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Could it be that somebody was passing out, mailing out cards from the Voice of Prophecy for a Bible study correspondence course through the mail? Could it have been that uh, she lived next door to a Seventh-day Israelite? I, I don't know, I don't know. You wonder if somebody sent her signs of the times from the Palestinian press. God gives us incredible opportunities. And he cares about the heathen. Whatever that term or definition means. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are what? Faint-hearted because of you. Our hearts are melting. Verse 10, I love this. If you don't, un I hope you underline in your Bible. I've highlighted and underlined it. For we have heard. That's evidence. The Lord lets that information get out. The influence is spread. The reports have come. We have heard these things. As soon as we heard these things, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. We heard about that. We heard about the plagues. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side, Bashan and Og, or Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. This is her testimony. This is a testimony of a heathen person. A liar, a traitor to her own country. She switched, she flipped. We have heard. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts, what? Melted. Neither did there remain any more courage anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he is in heaven. He is rather God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Does that sound like a wonderful testimony? Incredible. I have another slide here that just gives me so much hope. The inhabitants of Canaan had been granted ample opportunity for repentance. Forty years before, the opening of the Red Sea and the judgments upon Egypt had testified to the supreme power of the God of Israel. And now the overthrow of the kings of Midian, of Gilead, and Bashan had further shown that Jehovah was above all gods. The holiness of his character and the abhorrence of impurity had been evinced or evidenced in the judgments visited upon Israel for their participation 
Hold that slide before we go to the next one to finish the quote. In their participation in the abominable rites of Baal Peor. Are you with me in the story? I'm speaking, I'm preaching to my heart, brothers and sisters. These people, God's people, are getting ready to go into Canaan, the promised land. And guess what happens? Moses is their leader, but somebody's over here undermining him. And they've gone over to Moabite, to Moab, and they're bringing the women over. And you know what happens in the story. And the heathen have heard about that. What am I saying to myself? Preacher, what about your influence? What folks hear about you? What reports come from your witness? It's for all of us, isn't it? Go to the next slide, please. All these events were known to the inhabitants of Jericho. And there were many who shared, wow, many who shared Rahab's conviction. I wish we could stop there. Though they refused to obey it. That Jehovah, the God of Israel, is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. Like the men before the flood, the Canaanites lived only to blaspheme heaven and defile the earth. And both love and justice, this is the hard sentence, and both love and justice demanded the prompt execution of these rebels against God and foes to man. I, I often struggle with what God has to do to bring this whole situation to a conclusion. But I'm glad he's in charge, aren't you? He knows when it's time, when the iniquity of the Amorites is filled up. He also knows when it's time for Brother Steve. Take note. We've got a film clip here that I want to show you. How many of you remember Ron Halverson? You see, oh, a number of you. So some of you may have seen this, this video clip. It's telling the story of Goldie. Let's see if it relates to you. So here I am trying not to look at the gold afro. 
mean, everywhere I go, there's the gold afro. I, mean, I turn around, oh, there's the gold afro. And, and I'm, I'm caught up in the spirit to the gold afro. And, I finally got through the sermon. And uh, I went to the back to greet people. I tried that last night. I ran around the building. By the time I got there, they had to give me mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> so if you want to meet me, meet me up front. All right, anyway. It's not that I don't love you, but I want to live through this thing. So after the meeting, I got back there. I wanted to shake hands with the people, beautiful people, most beautiful, wonderful people I've ever met was there in Harlem. I mean, they came out in January. They came out in the snowstorms. I mean, the church was packed full. I mean, rain didn't stop them. Mud Subways, buses to get there. And so I'm preaching away, and after that I'm greeting the people, and she comes, Goldie. I shake her hand, and I say, hi, I'm Ron. She says, I'm Goldie. I said, oh, perfect. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely perfect. I said, I'm so happy to meet you, Goldie. And she smiles, and she started out, and a deacon came over, and he says, you know who she is? I said, yeah. Keep me in suspense. <laughs> that's Goldie. He said, that's right. She's the prostitute from 145th Street, Amsterdam Avenue. Now, I don't know how the deacon knew that.
was going for a little visit, prayed for me. Took my Bible, ran up the stairs down the hall, and the customers were waiting. Here I am, the only white guy in Harlem. Come on now, because I love everybody. All my brothers and sisters, you can't come to Christ and not love everybody. Mm, amen. So here I am. I'm going, hey, hey, man, where you going? I know. She says, you know, Pastor, she says, all the life I've had that song echoing and re-echoing my mind is what I'm doing this for a living. I said, that's a fact. Jesus loves you, Goldie, with an eternal love. Love him back. She said, I don't know how to love. So what's the appeal of this sermon today? If God can save Goldie, if God can save Rahab, 
and put her name in the hall of faith. Hebrews 11. He can save bankers. He can save farmers. He can save teachers. He can save pastors. You put your name, whatever the descriptor is. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Joint heirs with Jesus. Amen? I've missed something in this sermon. You've probably figured out what it is. Did you know who the mother of Boaz is? Rahab. And Boaz's son was Obed. Help me. And Obed's son was Jesse. Jesse's son was... Despite your reputation, whether it's well-seasoned or it's terrible, he can take care of it. He's in the business of transformation. He can take a Simon the leper who thinks, wow, I'm doing a great thing for Jesus. I'm inviting him over for a banquet. And there's that little lady slipping in, changing the agenda, Mary Magdalene, pouring the anointing oil in Jesus' feet. He can take a preacher, like I said, Nicodemus, goes to all these high-powered committees. But when Nicodemus saw Jesus, took him down off the cross. Ah, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, and so the Son of Man must be lifted. And he had a heart change. You know what Nicodemus did? You know this. He gave away all of his money to support the church through those terrible times before Jerusalem fell. There's one more. He can even take a zealot. He's got to hit him pretty hard. Gets that two before out and he hits him on the road to Damascus. He's a persecutor of God's people, but he takes that zeal and that passion and he turns it around and he makes him Paul, the missionary. I know he lives. I've seen it. You know he lives. He lives today in your hearts. He's speaking to you and to me right now from this message. May we respond to it as we sing this closing song. 251, he lives.